If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. That was kind of creepy. <laughs> right? Um, well, we're launching into a uh, creepy new series uh, called uh, Different. And, you know, it's a, sh- a little bit of a shorter series, three weeks, so you only have to hear that three different times. Um, no, uh, Last week, uh, we concluded our series, um, I Believe in God, uh, But, and uh, in, in, the, in the last message of that series, we talked about the fact that I believe in God, uh, but why, but it seems like he doesn't care, and, uh, and we really talked about why do bad things happen to good people, and then I kind of flipped the question a little bit and say, why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, and uh, it's interesting to me that uh, in the course of that, or since that message uh, last Sunday on Mother's Day, uh, I got more feedback on that message uh, than any of my other messages. Uh, there was lots of texts, lots of emails, uh, not necessarily negative, just saying, "Man, I, you know, I've uh, that's that's been me in the past, where I've I've always questioned." Um, why things happen in this world. And, uh, and then there was some that questioned the passage of Scripture that I used in First Peter uh, that talks about joy coming uh, to, to keep on pressing on and, and that there, there would be joy. And I'm going to refer to that, vo- uh, that verse today. Uh, but I thought, man, if, if that, got the, if that uh, pulled out the feedback that it did, uh, that maybe we should camp a little bit in First Peter and, uh, and investigate it a little bit more and see if there's more in there uh, that would be applicable to our lives and see if there's something that we couldn't learn from uh, the book of First uh, Peter. So that's really what this series is about. It's, uh, it's in the context of going through the book. So for those of you who, uh, who like more of the topical type, uh, this is going to be a little bit more um, what, what's referred to in Bible college as exegetical. Hey, hey Brent, let's not pinch your baby over there. Come on. Just kidding. Uh, everybody, uh, this is Brent and Bianca's uh, second Sunday back. They just had a baby. Congratulations to you guys. And the baby's pretty cute. Uh, gets that from her mom. Um, so we're in the, in the book of First Peter, and I want to just give you some context of when this book was written. Uh, it's uh, Peter. Peter's kind of a guy who uh, gets a bad rap, uh, but I'll just give you the the author of the book of First Peter. Anybody know who who wrote it? Peter. Peter wrote it. Spoiler alert. Uh, most people refer to Peter as an uneducated 
fisherman. I think, he, I think that kind of gives him uh, a bad label. It's really the most common description that we hear is that this guy uh, is, is not sharp. He, he, he didn't have any formal education. Uh, and I would just rem- remind you, I, I probably don't need to remind you necessarily, but that some of the, some of the smartest people in the world don't have any formal education. Uh, I was talking to my kids about this. I'm like, don't get any ideas. You're still going to college. Uh, but uh, there are people who aren't formally educated that are brilliant, that have brilliant minds. This guy was a businessman. He's a fisherman. He was a tremendous leader. He, he was passionate. He was bold. In fact, when you when you read his writings, he deals with some incredibly weighty and, and heavy theological issues. He's talking to a group of hurting Christians, and he talks about things like foreknowledge, and he talks about divine election and sanctification and obedience. He talks about the blood of Jesus. He talks about the Trinity. He talks about revelation. This guy's talking about all of these really, really uh, intellectual, theological things. But there are two big thing, themes that emerge that we'll see over and over again as we go through this book, and it talks about the hope that we have in Christ, and then he tells us that we are called to be different in this world. So First Peter was written somewhere between uh, 60 and 65 AD. We're not really sure uh, exactly when, but we know it was during the reign of a pretty terrible guy named Nero. Now, if you don't know anything about Nero, uh, Nero killed his mom. That's pretty much all you need to know about Nero. I mean, he, he killed his mom, he killed his first wife. We think he killed his second wife. I don't know why we would think he didn't, but apparently there's no proof. She just disappeared. And so all of th- this is who we're talking about. Nero's the kind of guy who he would take the skins off of animals and he would drape them over Christians, and then he would put them in a, in, a, in a coliseum and release animals and lions so that they would chase after the, the Christians and kill them. This is the kind of guy that, uh, you know, would just dip people in oil and tie them to a tree and light them on fire uh, as torches for his parties. What a great guy, right? That's Nero. And so, Nero is ruling in this time that Peter is writing this book, and so he's writing to a bunch of people who are being persecuted by this guy. And it got even worse because Nero, so what we do know is that uh, there was this fire that was burning Rome, and it, it, it went for six days. And, and so then what happened is the fire went out, and then it reignited for three more days, and it went out. And history would tell us that, or history suggests, uh, that it was actually Nero who started the fire. Uh, because he had this insatiable uh, uh, lust to build. And the Senate of that time wouldn't let him build, and so he just torched the thing and said, all right, now we'll rebuild. The problem was is then people started blaming him for the fire, and he then, in turn, turned that around and started blaming a little group of people called the Christ ones, Christians, Jesus followers. So he said that they did it to this little persecuted group, and in the midst of this, Peter writes this book and begins to 
explain to these persecuted, tortured, martyred people to be truly glad because there's wonderful joy ahead. It's almost as though as he's communicating this, it would appear shocking when you understand the context of it. Almost offensive that, it, that he would even have, have the nerve to be able to communicate such a thing. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, we live in a culture in a day and age when people will say, man, it's so hard to be a Christian today. And I think, well, it, there's probably a pretty good chance that, that it's been more difficult for others. Right? I mean, we're pretty fortunate. Now, I'm not saying there aren't places in this world where it is incredibly difficult to be a Christ follower, but we've got it pretty easy, comparatively speaking. And so Peter's writing to these people, and he's saying in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. And that's the passage of Scripture that I used last week that, uh, that got all of the, the, the text messages and the emails. So, in other words, what, what say, what, what's being said here is that God may not take these temporary trials away but there's wonderful joy ahead. And when he's going to show these trials, what he's going to show you is that these trials have a purpose in your life. He says these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now think about this. If, if there is such thing as a genuine faith, then the opposite must be true, that there is a false faith. And I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what a false faith would look like. If you're taking notes this morning, you can jot these down. I've just come up with three here. The first is an inherited faith would be a false faith. That's uh, what some of us have. This is where we go like, uh, my mom uh, was Methodist, uh, my dad was Baptist, uh, my grandparents went to church their whole life, uh, therefore I must be a Christian. I'm not Buddhist, I'm not uh, Muslim, I'm not... Uh, Jehovah Witness, and so therefore, I, I mean, I guess I, I, obviously I'm a Christian because that's what my family all was, and so I'm a Christian. It's called uh, an inherited faith. It's not a genuine faith because it's not really yours. It's something that you inherited. The second is a shallow faith. Jesus talked about this in a story that he told in Matthew chapter 13 where he, and you can read it if you want, I'm not going to read the whole story, but the essence of it is he's telling this story about a farmer who goes out to sow seeds. He's planting seeds uh, on different types of ground. Uh, and in one of the examples that he gives, he uh, sows some of his seeds out onto what's called uh, a hard ground. Uh, they didn't take up root very deep, and, and so they got swallowed up. The, the weeds ate, choked it out. And Jesus says, when the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of the wealth and the love for the things of the world come along, it chokes out this little plant and it dies because the roots weren't deep enough. So, you know, I mean, that's the reality of some of the culture that we live in, that our faith isn't deep faith, it's 
a shallow faith. And I, I'm, you know, I, I struggled whether or not I was even going to mention this, but because I don't want to be a, a, a prophet of doom and gloom, but the reality is, is that there are some who, uh, who, who may go to church or attend church or be a part of church. Maybe there's even some here today who in six months from now uh, won't be here. I don't mean like they're going to die. I just mean like they're not going to be here. They're not going to be in church. They're not going to be reading their Bible. They're not, because there's not a, a deepening of their faith. It's just a, a shallow faith. It's a little quiet in here. I feel like maybe I'm offending somebody, so I'm just going to move along. There's, what I'm trying to say is that because there's no deep roots in their faith, there's no spiritual power, there's no spiritual victory, and, and it's just, it's true, whether we like it or not, it's true that there are people who function that way. The third is conditional faith. This is a little bit of what we were talking about the last series. It's that those who would say, I believe in God, I love God as long as things go my way. Right? That's, that's some of us. Those of us who have a false faith, who have a, a conditional faith, or those people who would say, listen, as long as everything goes my way, I'm good. So those of us that have a false faith, I believe that you're here for a reason. I don't, I don't believe in chance, I don't believe in coincidence, that, that for those of you who would say, you know what, now that you mention it, I, my faith is really rooted just in, in my inheritance from, uh, uh, from the past, in, in, the, in my family's faith and all of those things, or, or now that you mention it, you know what, I don't go deep. It, it is a, a little bit of a shallow faith, and, uh, and maybe it is just a little bit conditional. I, I believe that you're here for a specific reason, and that's to begin to understand a genuine faith in Jesus. Two different ways that we see that God uses uh, our trials, uh, where our faith is being tested and our, uh, our faith is being strengthened. The first is that trials reveal your faith. And, and I'm not touching on this a lot because I talked about this last week and, and the week prior to that, but let's just look at it again. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. I'd like to say it this way, a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. In fact, that's what Peter, he, that's who he was. He had been tested. He even failed a little bit. And then he was strengthened, he kind of regrouped, he was redeemed, he was made new, and then he was completely transformed. Uh, let me backtrack a little bit, maybe like 25 years prior to Peter writing this book, and go back a couple of decades, he, he's having this conversation with Jesus. And it was recorded in, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you. Satan wants to see what you're made of. We can't ever think for a moment that he's not attacking, that that he's not out to kill, still, and destroy from us. He wants to test you. He wants to see what you're made of, Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So how did God use this trial to transform Peter? Think about this. In the early years, 
let's, let's be honest, Peter was kind of obnoxious. He was inconsistent at best. He was a little hot-headed, and, and then in the later years, he's incredibly bold. He's incredibly tenacious. He has this enormous amount of faith. So what happened? God used the trials that he went through to strengthen him. What was one of the biggest trials that he went through? Peter was always shooting his mouth off, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, listen, all these other knuckleheads that are following you, these guys are weak. I will, they, when, when something happens to you, they're going to deny you, but not me. John, he's kind of a pansy. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deny you. I'm your guy. I got your back. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then what happened? A little schoolgirl comes up to him, big, scary schoolgirl, and says to him, hey, don't, don't you follow Jesus? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. Three different times he says to three different people, yeah, I, I, don't, know who, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't even know that guy. It's a pretty big trial. See, he sees the eyes of Jesus, his heart's ripped out, Jesus brutally dies on the cross for Peter's sins, for our sins. Stones rolled away, tombs empty, Christ is risen. In John chapter 21, you see this meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and Peter. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, of course. But he says again, do you love me? And he gives him an assignment. He says, then feed my sheep. What happens shortly after that? Shortly after that, Peter is now the guest speaker at Pentecost, and he preaches to a crowd, and 3,000 people get saved. What happened? What was the difference? God used the trials to strengthen his faith, to change him to who he was becoming. So trials can reveal and strengthen our faith. It's why James, the brother of Jesus, even said this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of any kind, of any kind, if you're in a trial, you count it all as joy because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, God's going to use it. So the reward will be the salvation of our souls. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's the good news. It's, it's not that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives us our sins. That's the best news of all, even when we have trials. Someone says, well, yeah, but, uh, but Pastor Ryan, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that? God's never going to give you more than you can handle. That's like a, a tagline that we use as Christians, but it's not the right interpretation of Scripture. The, it's a misinterpretation of a verse that says, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And that's different. See, our, our faith is in a God who is, our, is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. 
And at the same time, we hurt because it's real. And at the same time, we have human fears because we're human. We have supernatural faith in the goodness of God. And what I want us to understand in this series is, is that we have this incredible joy that can only come from heaven. Trials strengthen our faith, but they also draw us closer to God. So I'll say this, as I said last week, before I move on to the second theme of, that we're going to be talking about today, that if you're here this morning and you are hurting, I believe you're here because God loves you. I would just say take a step towards him. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you, and God loves you so much that he brought you here to help you understand that. That you're, the, the trial that you're experiencing, the thing that you're going through, is not because you're bad or you did something wrong or that you just don't have enough faith, but he can actually use the trial to strengthen you. He can use it to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. And if you trust him, you might never be the same. The second theme from from this book that we're going to be talking about is is that we're called to be different. In 1 Peter 1, verse 1, it it starts this way. It says, this is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. They're living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, of Galatia, of Cappadocia, uh, of Asia, of Bithynia. The Greek word that's translated as foreigners is actually translated uh, in many ways, depending on which Bible you have. But some of the words that it's translated into are exiles, uh, sojourners, aliens, strangers, foreigners. In other words, Peter is saying, you have to understand and remember this is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a stranger of this world. You're a sojourner. You're, you're just passing through. This is temporary. You're an alien. It's not the final dwelling place. You're a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God. You're just passing through. Hopefully you didn't, never mind, uh, I was going to say something that I, every now and then I have self-control. <laughs> For those that, that would say you are Christ ones, that would say you are a follower of Christ, what does that mean to be an alien, to be a sojourner, to be a foreigner? What it means is that we have different values than those people around us. You have different morals than other people. You have a different belief system. You'll be a different, you'll be different as a mom or as a dad, as a husband or a wife. You'll be different in a way that you raise your children. The, The ways that you relate to people will all be different. You'll be different when someone mistreats you and how you respond. You'll you'll be different in the ways that you invest your money and the way that you spend your time. Why? Because this world is not your home. 
You're called to be different. The, the problem for so many people in our culture, and, and if I could just say the problem for so many of us, is that the biggest obstacle to just fully following Christ is our desire to somehow fit in to this world. To be faithful to God's call on one hand, and then to be different is this longing to look like everyone else, like we want to be like everyone. We don't want to be weird. We want to be normal. And so there's this effort in our lives to plug in, to fit in, to look the same, to belong to this world. But the reality is, is God didn't create you to fit in. He called you to stand out. He never said that we're to blend into the things of this world. We're, we're told not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by, by what? The renewing of our minds. Peter says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now you've been transformed. See, we're never called to just blend in. We're called to stand out. Why would we want to be normal anyways? I mean, if you think about it, what's normal? Normal is broke. Normal is bondage. Normal is fear. Normal is divorce. Normal is tension. Normal is depression. Normal is anxiety. Normal is not liking your job. Normal is fighting depression. That's what normal is. And honestly, I don't really want anything to do with normal. I want off the normal road. Because Jesus says that there is this normal road. He says there's a path that's broad and wide and many people are on it. That would be the normal road. But he says there's a different road. There's this other road that's much more narrow and the gate is much smaller. He said only a few people are on this road. For broad is the road and wide is the path that leads toward destruction. But narrow is the one that leads to life, and only a few people find it. So it's my prayer that as the pastor and one of the leaders of this church, that we would be amongst the few on that narrow road. And because of the passion of those few, that we would get to experience more and more and more that would find the path that leads to life. See, it's not the normal path on which most people travel. God is calling us to be set apart. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And if you're following along in this, I really hope that you can feel the power and the weight of these words. This is what Peter says. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, there's this time when you didn't know better, and quite honestly, maybe that's where some of you are right now. You're doing some things, and as a pastor, I would say, really not good decisions, but, but maybe you haven't learned, and so you haven't yet grown, and so you haven't been transformed by Jesus. There was a time when, when you weren't as accountable Right when, when we weren't really all that accountable that much because we didn't know, but now we know, and now we're accountable. And he says, but just as he, just as, just, a God, uh, just 
as God who has called you as what? Just as he has called you as holy, so be holy in all that you do. And it goes on to say, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Be holy in all that you do. What I hope you'll notice is that what this text doesn't say, which is really what so many people want to believe, is, and this is how they live, it doesn't say, be happy in all you do because I have called you to be happy. Right? It doesn't say that. But, but because for so many people today, in our Western version of Christianity, we have so many people that believe that God's highest calling for them is our happiness. The problem is happiness, is, it, it begins with happenings. And happenings don't always make us happy. Sometimes happenings may be unhappy. And there's something greater that is a joy that can come from a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. But above all, I hope, hope we understand that God's highest calling is not our happiness, but it's our holiness. His highest calling is, is our holiness, and he's called us to be set apart. The, the problem with, with this kind of theology of happiness that, uh, that we uh, seem to, to live in the midst of is that God wants me happy above all else. And the problem with that is it empowers what, what we could call like this personal justification. In other words, it doesn't really matter if it's right or wrong. As long as I'm happy, that's what God wants for my life. Right? We think that if God wants me happy, then I'm able to do something that otherwise would be wrong or unwise. If God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage, then by all means I can walk out the door even though I'm in covenant with my wife because I'm no longer happy. Or if I'm not happy because I don't have this thing, then I can do whatever needs to be done. I can beg, borrow, and steal in order to get that thing. I can go into astronomical debt in order to have it because obviously God wants me to be happy. See, when we believe above all else that that's what God wants for us, suddenly discomfort and delay and risk and inconvenience couldn't possibly be God's will. And suddenly, without even knowing it, we begin to worship this false God of comfort and money and pleasure and things. God's supposed to get me what I want. God's supposed to make me happy. You have to understand that God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And he calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be holy. That word holy in the Greek, listen, I, I won't tell you what grade I got in Greek, but they have these amazing amazing programs out there that I can look this stuff up. So I'm not lying to you when I tell you this, that the word holy actually in the Greek means to be set apart, to be different. It means pure, that God is calling us to not conform to the patterns of this world, to not conform to the rhetoric that we see on social media where we're just like everybody else, lobbing bombs back and forth. 
where we treat people the same way that our neighbor would treat their neighbor because of how they handled their lawn or how they raised their children, that somehow there would be something that was different about us. Because if we're not any different from the rest of the world, I promise you, oh man, it's going to get quiet in here. Well, it's already pretty quiet. (laughs) If you're not any different from this world, then you are not following Christ. That's the truth. Hurts, but it's the truth. God calls us to be different and to be set apart. We talk to our kids a lot about this. Uh, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I could give you an example last week of how I'm not perfect and could give you many, many more. Uh, I'll give you one more. Um, just it's important for you to understand this before I, I brag on this family sit- dynamic or situation. But uh, when we first moved into our house, you know, all the houses here in Stone Oak, they're just these ridiculously steep, tall houses. And and we came from Washington where it was a single-story rancher, so uh, we put Christmas lights on the house, so we moved here. Naturally, we thought, well, that's what you do here, so we, I got a ladder out. And, uh, but it was way up there, and so I thought, uh, Ian, I got a brilliant idea. This was many years ago when I was dumb. Uh, I got this brilliant idea that I could, and I, many of you know this story, I, I could put the ladder up on top of my roof to get to the next level, the, the sloped roof. And I, I thought, well, it's, the ladder's got those feet that kind of flex, and it's got grip on it, so I, this should be, this is a good idea. So, so I'm, I'm climbing up the ladder, and I get about halfway up to the, to the second story while I'm on the first story roof, and the ladder falls out from underneath me, and I'm now falling like 20 feet, and and it was almost like the fear and something triggered some uh, word that was in the back, way buried, like, like a word I would never use in the back of my brain. And it brought it, like the fear just brought it to the forefront. And I'm not going to tell you what the word was, but uh, many of you know that I'm, I'm uh, an Oregon Ducks fan. And we say, go Ducks. And it may have rhymed with that where I was coming down, and, I, and I, I'm just telling you I'm not perfect, all right? Don't, don't judge me in this. And as I'm I'm screaming it, so all of our neighbors who know the new pastor in town, comes, my wife comes in wondering if I'm even sick, comes outside, sees me laying on the ground. She's not concerned about how I'm feeling. She's concerned about what our neighbors now think that's not true. She was concerned about me. But the look on her face was like, did you just say what I thought I heard from inside the house you say? So, so one of the things we talk about with our kids is being different. And now we homeschool our kids, so by nature they're different. And and I'm not saying they're weird, I'm just saying they're different. Like, the majority of people go to school, and our kids wake up and do school, and, and sometimes they do it in, in their pajamas, and, that, you know, like, it's just different. And we talk to our kids a lot about being different, because there's something about being a Christ follower that is different. 
and, and by the fact that they have to come to the church all the time. So our kids are even more different than some of your kids because our kids are at this building as much as Liz's kids. Like, I mean, like, and Julie's kids. Like, our kids are here all the time, and they serve all the time. My, my son's serving. They're on the worship. And, and we talk about the fact, they're like, but, but, but all of our friends don't do this. And, I, and I, our response to them is, you're different and different isn't bad. We're called to be different. If you want different children, we listen, people have wondered whether or not I was going to say anything about the, the shooting that took place this last, this last week. Horrible. And we see it time and time again, and, and we, we hear all the rhetoric, and we know everybody's got the answer, but nobody's willing to do anything about it or any of these things. And we, don't even, like, we won't even get rid of the politics to even talk about what the real problem is. And one of the real problems, now, I'm, now I'm, I'm verging on closing our church right now, but you want to know what the real problem is? The real problem is we're not creating our children to be different than the world. That's the problem. So, if you want your children to be different, guess what? You have to be different. If, if, if we want our children to grow up and be different, we've got to model for them and set the example and begin to be different in this world. If they can't tell the difference, then... That's a problem. I love the way the New, Trans, uh, New Living Translation says this, and I'll move on. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. He sa- it says it like this. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. And then he says in this version, he says, don't slip back into your old ways to satisfy your own desires. Don't slip back. I like that. Don't slip back. Don't fall into trouble. Because how many of us know that we can slip into trouble? But how many of us know that you can't slip into righteousness? Right? Have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, I fell into sin? I've never heard anybody say, I fell into righteousness today. I didn't mean to. I'm just holy. I don't even know how it happened. I, I'm just right. I just got up. I was trying to sin but holiness caught up with me, and now I'm perfect. It doesn't happen that way. We have this enemy who will cause us to slip up, to trip, to fall. We, we have to understand that the enemy's subtle, right? He, he's not going to come after us like, hey, you want to be a devil worshiper today? You want to sacrifice some chickens in your garage? Like that, no, that's not what he's going to do. Instead, what he's going to do is he's going to come after us the same way that he came after Adam and Eve with a question. He's going to come after us and say, as he did with them, he's going to say, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. And, and the question is, did God really say? And that's how he's going to attack us. That's how he's going to move us. Did God really say this? And that's the question you're waiting for. You want me to tell you what's okay and what's not okay. What's, 
what do you mean don't be in the world? Like, does that mean I get rid of my Netflix subscription? Uh, does that mean, you know, like, do I not watch this, listen to that? What? Come on, you know, I don't want to be weird or anything, but, but that's our natural response. And we'll often ask the question, did he really say that? Did he really say, don't do this? Did God really say not to watch Netflix or that HBO show? You know what I mean? It's like, whatever it is, did God really say it? I mean, I don't, you know what it is. I don't, it, whatever it is, it doesn't bother me. Whatever it is, it, 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 what makes this message challenging is I don't want us to get hung up on, oh, I just need to stop that or I just need to do this. I want us to get hung up on the fact that God is calling us to be different from the inside out. Some would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a lot better than a lot of people. And I would say, well, I'm a lot better than a lot of people. I might even be better than you. (laughs) But a lot of people are not the standard. God calls us as Jesus followers to be different. In fact, I want to ask you just a few questions. You can write these down if you want. What are the three areas I struggle most trying to fit in? What is the time I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? What is the area that God wants me to be different? In verse 18 through 21, Peter goes on to say this. He says to those hurting Christians who were being persecuted, killed, tortured, he says, you need to remember, for you know It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. It wasn't with these things that you were set free from the longing for more, he says, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was the sinless Son of God who set you free. It was Jesus that pointed you toward life. It was the risen Son who forgave your sins and made you new. He he was chosen before the creation of this world, but was revealed in the last days for your sake, through him who believe in God, you who believe in God. We need to understand that living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Living holy, we can't be good enough on our own to please him. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is, is the path to living holy. Knowing Christ, it's, it's when we know Christ, it's not that I have to do that or I don't get to do this. Knowing Christ is, is now all of a sudden, of, instead of I don't want or I, I wish I could, instead it's like I don't want to do anything that's displeasing to God. I want to live a life that brings glory to him. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't, I don't care if, if they laugh. I don't care if it's different, if they criticize. I'm, I'm living for an audience of one because of who Jesus is. And because of what he did, I'm different. And I'm proud to be different. I'm not ashamed to confess that I'm different because of who he is. 
What I'm talking about is an inward spiritual transformation. It's not, hey, hey, look, 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 when I fall off my house, I don't say the worst of the words anymore. It's, no, it's like, hey, look, I've changed from the inside and out of the overflow of the heart, come uh, the mouth speaks. And I have a new heart. My heart is, is different. It's, it's not that I'm trying. It's, it's not that I'm trying to be holy. It's just that God's doing something inside of me that's changing me. I'm seeking him and his, his presence and not, not trying to do those things. It's my prayer that the Spirit of God would do in me and do in us what I cannot do. And that's show us an area where we need to be different. Where we need to surrender it and see change and transformation take place in our life. Where we would be changed from the inside toward the out. Let's pray. Father, work in us. We get to hear so much about your love, your grace in our life, and, and at times we, we can forget to allow our roots to, to go deep. Sometimes in the midst of our trials and, and the blowing wind, it, we just get swept away because our, our roots aren't deep. Today, as we dig into this scripture, as we go through this series over the next couple of weeks, God, let this be a deepening of our roots, a reminder for all of us what we're called to be, that we are called to be different, that this world that we live in is temporary. This world that we live in is normal, but you've called us to extraordinary, called us to different. For anyone in this room, God, that's feeling guilt, or condemnation from your word, that, God, I pray that you would cover that and release that. Your word brings conviction, not condemnation. God, what we do is we surrender to you today and trust you in the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and uh, we're going to close our time out uh, with the giving and the receiving of our tithes and offerings today. Ushers, make your way this way. I'll pray for that, and then we're going to close our, our, our time out with one last song. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to, to give, and we give not out of guilt or condemnation or shame or any of those things. None of that is from your heart. Uh, we give with what your word talks about, a joyful heart, a giving heart, uh, because we recognize that everything that we have in this world, in this temporary world that we live in, uh, is from you. 
It's all a blessing from you. And so this is an opportunity for us to offer up our livelihood as they did in antiquity uh, as a sacrifice of our praise to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.